0: Of course, we're in the Gospel of John again, chapter number three, and the Gospel of John is really all about Jesus Christ. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we call synoptic Gospels. They are Gospels that give an overview of Jesus' ministry, and they hit kind of the highlights along the way. But the Gospel of John is really all about Jesus Christ. The purpose, the reason why the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John is to show to us the deity, the authenticity of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was God in the flesh and that he came down to save lost sinners like you and me. So, the title of the message this morning is a question, and that question is Do you believe? Do you believe? We started two weeks ago on Sunday morning in John chapter number 3, looking at the encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And we left off two weeks ago with the end of verse number 8. Of course, in that encounter, Nicodemus has come to find Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us here in John chapter number 3 and in verse number 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of of the Jews. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is one of the religious leaders. It says there that he's a ruler of the Jew. Uh, presumably he was a member of the Sanhedrin court. So he was a man who would have studied his Bible. He would have known the scriptures. The members of the Sanhedrin, typically they did not allow someone entrance into the members, membership of the Sanhedrin court until they were above 50 years of age. So he would have been a man who had spent his life studying the Scriptures. He would be one who would have known the prophecies. He would have known what the prophets of old had said about the Messiah. He would have been one who lived and ordered his life according to the Ten Commandments. He would have been one who lived a very moral and upright life, but yet Jesus said to him, Ye must be born again. And we know that this was something that shocked Nicodemus because in verse number 7, Jesus says... To Nicodemus, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So Nicodemus was apparently standing there with a shocked expression, with his mouth hanging open. He was shocked. He was marveling at what Jesus had said. But we're going to look at verses 9 through 15 this morning. Jesus has told Nicodemus that he must be born again. He gave him some illustrations to speak to that fact what being born again was. But in verse number 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We'll stop there for this morning. Originally, I was going to go all the way down to verse number 21 and kind of end the encounter with Nicodemus. But the more that I looked at this, the more that I studied this, I didn't think I'd have time to do that this morning unless we stayed a really long time. So we'll stop with verse number 15 this morning. But the first thing that we want to notice is the surprise of Nicodemus. And it's, we see it there in verse number 9 when Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He's, he's shocked. He is surprised at what Jesus has just told him. Be born again? What does this mean? Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus has just finished telling Nicodemus things that have absolutely rattled him. You see, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was one who knew the scriptures. So you would think there wouldn't be anything religious that would come along that would shock him. But yet, Jesus has just told him some things that he's completely flabbergasted. He's completely shocked. He says, Jesus, how can these things be? I don't understand. What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus has just told Nicodemus that he cannot see the kingdom of God unless he is first born again. And that this being born again is a work of the Holy Spirit of God and not something that Nicodemus can accomplish on his own. Now we have to put ourselves in Nicodemus's shoes to really understand why he is shocked, to understand what this means. You see, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, as a ruler of the Jews, as a man of authority, power, and moral uprightness, and as a Jew who kept the law, Nicodemus would have seen himself as the premier candidate to be part of the kingdom of God. He would have seen himself as one of the the best options to enter into the kingdom of God. He would have said, well, I checked the box of being Jewish. My national heritage is correct. I am part of the people of God by birth. Not only that. I am a moral, upright person. I keep God's commandments, and I have for my entire life. Not only that, I am a member of the Pharisees. I'm a member of the ruling class of the religious society, and I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus would have seen himself as ready to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus has just come to him and said, Nicodemus, stop right there. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. Now you see, Nicodemus, and really the disciples, they fall into this category too. Nicodemus would have been thinking about the kingdom of God as the earthly rule and reign of the Messiah. You see, the Jewish people in Nicodemus's and the, the disciples' day, they were under the Roman rule. They were under an occupying force. It would like you... It would be like you and I today, as members of the United States of America, it would be like Russia coming in and reigning and ruling over us. We would probably find that offensive, right? <laughs> to be ruled over by another nation. Now suddenly you're being told what you can and cannot do by people who don't, you didn't vote for. right? They came in by force. They're taking over your land. They're raising your taxes and taking your money from you and you have absolutely no say Over any of it. Now, I realize some of that applies to our own government. But it would be infinitely worse than it is now. Right? To be... Because then it wouldn't be your own people doing it. It would be somebody else coming in and by threat of a sword hanging over your head. Literally. Right? They were ready for the Romans to be gone. Life under the Roman people was not great. And so they were expecting the Messiah... They were longing. They were looking for the Messiah. The Messiah was promised. And when the Messiah came, he was going to set up his kingdom. And so did the Jewish people. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for someone to come in and to become king and to run the Romans off and to reinstitute the kingdom like it was under David and Solomon and to see everything rebuilt and see them reigning and ruling. And that's what they were excited about. And you know that if you read the Gospels, you see the disciples time and time again. That's what their focus was on. That's why when Jesus comes and He says, Guys, I'm headed to the cross. Guys, I'm going to die. Guys, I'm going to pay for your sins by dying. It, it goes completely over their heads, right? They don't understand it because they're fixated on earthly kingdom. Earthly kingdom. Messiah is going to be an earthly king. But when Jesus reveals, when Jesus dies, actually... It's like after he dies, they finally get it. It finally clicks, and they remember, oh, yeah, you remember all those things that Jesus said? Like he's going to rise again in three days? Yeah, I remember him saying that, and we see that he did. It took them a while to understand. And so that is what Nicodemus is focused on. That's what he is thinking. He's thinking Messiah is king. Messiah is going to come as a king. And he is completely shocked. Right? That doesn't make any sense. If you're thinking of an earthly kingdom and Jesus is coming to you and saying you must be born again. Jesus, what are you talking about? Why would I have to be born again to enter into an earthly kingdom? That doesn't make any sense. And that is where Nicodemus is in verse number 9. How can these things be? So we see Nicodemus's shock, his surprise. But then you'll notice Jesus asks two questions of Nicodemus the first one we could simply sum up as don't you know don't you know you see this in verse number 10 Jesus answered and said unto him art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things
1: don't you know this
0: Nicodemus Jesus says hey Nicodemus you are a master you are a teacher of Israel You are one who is teaching others. You're standing up and you are proclaiming this is what God says. This is what the scriptures say. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, how do you not know this? It's in the scriptures is the implication. As a teacher, as a member of the Pharisees, as a master of Israel, Nicodemus, you should know this. But yet he was missing what Jesus was saying. He was missing so much of what the scriptures had said. In Mark chapter 15 and verse number 14, Jesus would refer to the Pharisees in, in general as a group as blind leaders of the blind, right? Now, if I end up blind tomorrow, I don't want someone else who is blind leading me around, even if they've been blind for a really long time. I, and I've seen some blind people who've been blind for a while and they can get around surprisingly well. But I would still prefer someone who has their sight because they make these cars now that are like completely silent, they're all electric. And I don't want to get hit by one of those. Now most of the cars around here, you can hear them coming, especially the old boys. They have real loud trucks and they cut the mufflers off and stuff, so you can hear them coming from miles away. But if, if you're blind, right, you want someone who can see to lead you. You don't want someone else who is in the same condition as you. But here is Nicodemus and he is completely blind to what the scriptures say. You know, it's the same in our day today, that there are many who claim to be teachers. They, they proclaim themselves to be oracles of God, those who are, are bringing what God has to say. But yet they are ones who do not know God and his word. They are blind leaders of the blind. And you know, that's a sobering realization for me as someone who is A preacher, someone who proclaims the word of God. I must be careful that what I have to say is God's word. That I'm not coming and I'm not adding to it and I'm not detracting from it. I'm not taking away and saying that which I think or that which is tradition or that which other men have said. But that when I come to you and I say this is what God says, that you can see in God's word that this is what God says. That it's not just me. Nicodemus was wrapped up in tradition. Nicodemus was wrapped up in being a Pharisee and in what all the other Pharisees had to say. And when Jesus came on the scene, they missed who Jesus was because of what their traditions were. They missed who Jesus was because they were so focused on what they thought and they had missed what God's word had said. They were blind leaders of the blind It also ought to be a warning to all men. If someone like Nicodemus could look at himself and be totally confused and deceived about his relationship with God, you and I also ought to be careful to make sure that we are trusting in his truth, the truth, that it lines up not with tradition, not with what I have always thought or always felt or believed, but with what God says. We ought to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. We ought to put our faith, our trust in God to the test and say, Am I truly a child of God? If someone like Nicodemus could be confused, could think that he was right with God, that he was a prime candidate to be in the kingdom of God and be wrong, then you and I ought to be careful. So we see Jesus' first question here. Don't you know? Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? But second of all, you'll see in verse number 11, 12, and 13, we'll see that Jesus challenges Nicodemus, and he asks him, Nicodemus, why don't you believe? Why don't you believe? Verse number 11, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So we see in verse 11, Jesus once again starts off with this statement. He repeats himself. He says, verily, verily. He's trying to get Nicodemus' attention and say, hey, this is important. What I am going to say to you is true, true. It's doubly true. It's truth that you need to listen to. Nicodemus, you need to get a hold of what I am about to say. We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Now, it's interesting. We're not told that there is anyone else here with Jesus. We're just told that it's Nicodemus and Jesus. So we don't know. So I puzzled over this for a little while. What is this we that Jesus is talking about? But in the context of what Jesus is saying, I believe that this we is the Scriptures. Jesus is pointing Nicodemus back to the Word of God. He's saying, Nicodemus, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. The witness of the Scriptures The witness of the Scriptures that Nicodemus knew, that he had studied his entire life, that was the witness that Nicodemus was not receiving, right? The the Scriptures prophesied who the Messiah would be. They prophesied the things that the Messiah would do, where he would be born. All of these things Jesus had perfectly fulfilled, and yet Nicodemus and the Pharisees, they did not receive the witness. You know, there's other places in the Gospel where Jesus refers to the witness of Scripture. You remember the rich man in Lazarus, and he, he lifts up the rich man, it says, he lifts up his eyes in hell, being in torment, and he wanted someone to go back to his brothers and warn them with a message from him. And you will remember the answer that Abraham gives him in that passage. He says, you know, if they won't hear the testimony of, of Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced, though one raises from the dead. If Lazarus was to raise from the dead and go back to your brothers and tell them a message from you, they wouldn't listen to it. They wouldn't be impressed. Why? Well, because they won't even listen to Moses and the prophets. Peter in the New Testament speaks about how we have a more sure word of prophecy than what he saw with his own eyes. He was an eyewitness of the things that Jesus did and said. But he said that you and I today, we have a more sure word of prophecy in the Holy Scriptures. It's more sure than if we were there as an eyewitness of these things. You see, Jesus here, he's pointing Nicodemus' attention back to the scriptures. He's saying, these things that have been written about me, the things that I'm telling you, these are things we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. Ye receive not our witness. But you'll notice there in verse number 10... We'll go back up to verse number 10, and I want you to pay attention very carefully to the wording here. And this is really where I wrestled, and I was trying to understand what in the world is this passage about? What is Jesus saying? But you'll notice in verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou. So he uses that word thou, and this is is where I really one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I really love the King James Bible. Because this is very specific. Right? And some people, they come to this and they say, oh, well, this is too hard to understand. Just cut it out. Let's get rid of it. Let's make it all general. If you do that, you lose the entire meaning of this passage. You lose what Jesus is saying here. Thee and thou, okay? Thee and thou are personal. They refer to one specific person. So, I could talk with Brother Neesmith and use thee and thou, and it's me talking directly to him. I'm not talking to anyone else. When Jesus addresses Nicodemus in verse number 10, art thou a master of Israel, right? That is a specific address to one particular person. He's not talking about anyone else. He's not talking to anyone else. He's talking directly to Nicodemus and saying, you, in particular, art thou a master of Israel. But you'll notice in verse number 11, verily, verily, I say unto thee, okay, he's speaking to Nicodemus specifically again, verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. So Jesus suddenly changes tenses from thee and thou to ye and you. Now this is significant, because ye and you are speaking to a group, collectively, yet with individual application. So Jesus is speaking specifically to Nicodemus, but all of a sudden he jumps to plural and he says, ye receive not our witness. Now who is Jesus talking to? Well, he's talking to Nicodemus, but who is he talking about? Because he's just grouped more people together with Nicodemus and said, ye receive not our our witness. Well, he's talking about the Pharisees in general. He's talking specifically to Nicodemus, but he has just made the application much broader. Ye receive not our witness. We know this about the Pharisees. We know that they did not receive the witness of Jesus Christ. That's why Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. That's why he didn't show up with all of his buddies, because he wanted to talk to Jesus. There was something in his heart that was stirring, and he wanted to know more But he didn't dare do it during the daylight. He didn't dare get caught doing it because he might get in trouble with his cronies who didn't believe. Those who did not receive the witness of Scripture. Jesus goes on in verse number 12, If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So this is the part that really confused me, right? Because if you think he's just talking about this conversation with Nicodemus, you say, well, okay, in John chapter 3, what are the earthly things and what are the heavenly things? Well, it's hard to delineate. Well, because Jesus has been talking to him about being born again. And, you know, I even read a bunch of commentaries. And they were talking about how being born again, well, that's an earthly experience, and so that's what Jesus is talking about here. Well, okay, But being born again, though it happens here on earth, it's a really spiritual thing. Jesus has just finished telling him as much. That being born again is like the wind blowing. You you can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. Being born again is something that happens of the Spirit in verse number 8. So it's not, I mean it is earthly, but it's not. It's heavenly. But when you apply the thee and the thou and the ye and the you to this, it really unlocks the passage. Okay, what is Jesus saying here? If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You see, Jesus' accusation here of Nicodemus and the Pharisees at large is that he had revealed to them that he was the Messiah. He had met all of the requirements that there was to meet. And if you think back over the last several weeks, as we've looked at the Gospel of John up to this point, right? Jesus has done some miracles. Jesus has turned the water into wine. Jesus has gone into the temple and He has overturned the tables. And we talked about how that was really something that He did to point to the fact that He was the Messiah. And you'll remember the disciples during that time When they saw Jesus do that, they remembered the prophecy. They remembered the prophecy of the Messiah. And to them, it was a clear sign that Jesus was the Messiah. But you know what the Pharisees did in all of that? They came and they said, Jesus, we seek a sign. Well, that's kind of goofy. Jesus has just finished doing miracles. And you come and you say, Jesus, we want a miracle. We want proof that you're the Messiah. Jesus says, well, I I just did. That's why you're here. What are you talking about? You need more? And that is what Jesus is saying here. I've told you earthly things and ye believe not. How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus points out that he has met all of the requirements that they were looking for in the Messiah. He has proven to them that he is the Messiah. His witness of himself... Has aligned with what the scriptures have said. You remember there in verse 10 or verse 11, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Jesus says, guys, you know that I've met all these requirements. The witness that I bear of myself, it's the witness that the scriptures are giving you to, and you're not receiving it. You're not believing it. You see, they had wanted Jesus to reveal some deeper secret were to give some greater sign than what he had already given. They were looking for something more. But Jesus points out that if they would not believe the earthly things, the things that they could see with their own two eyes, he says, you'll not believe if I tell you of heavenly things. He says, if I come and I, I open your eyes to the majesty of heaven, I reveal something that no one has ever heard before, you'll just think I'm making it up. You'll look at it and you'll say, we can't verify that. We don't know that to be true. I'm going to fact check that. Right? Jesus says, guys, I've already pointed out to you. I've already proved to you that I'm the Messiah. He goes on there in verse number 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus goes on to point out that Guys, if I, if I reveal things from heaven, you have no one to verify that. No one else has ever been to heaven. No one else has ascended up to heaven and come back down. You don't have anyone in the Scriptures who's gone up there. Remember, the Apostle John hadn't written the book of Revelation yet. Up to this point, no one has gone to heaven. No one has seen a vision of heaven and has all these great secrets to reveal. Jesus says, guys, you won't listen to me. If I tell you of heavenly things. But you'll notice there, in verse number 13, he also makes a statement of deity. In the middle of this conversation with Nicodemus, he says at the end of verse number 13, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Which is in heaven. Now, wait a second. Where is Jesus right now? In this passage, he's on earth. Yeah, He's standing there, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus, but yet he says, the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now, I don't fully understand that. But there's only one person. There's only one who could possibly be in both places at once, and that's God. That's God himself. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the only one in all of human history who's been to heaven, who's ascended, my own power, Right There were others, Enoch, Enoch was translated, and Elijah went to heaven in a chariot of fire. There were others, saints along the way, who'd gone to heaven, but not by their own power. Jesus is the only one who's ever ascended. He's made his own way there. He's the only one who's come down from heaven to talk to us, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. You know... As Jesus talked with Nicodemus about these things, we find so it is today. So it is today that men today, they want a bigger reveal from God. Men today, they say, well, God, I want proof that you're real. God, I want you to show me some sign to show that you really love me or that you want me to follow after you. They want God to reveal something bigger from heaven than Jesus Christ. There's nothing bigger. There's no better sign that he could give than to send his only begotten son. To send God in the flesh to this earth. He's already done it all. He's already proved it all in the best way that he possibly could. People today, they still want God to tell them bigger things from heaven than his plan of salvation for men. You know, really, that's the pride of man. The pride of man that says, God, give me some big thing to do. You know, tell me that I've got to go climb a mountain. Tell me that I've got to do all these things. I've got to follow this formula. I've got to do X, Y, and Z. Pull it all together in my own strength. And God, I'll do it. I'll make it happen so that I can be saved. What does he say? Repent. Believe the gospel. Do that which you cannot do in your own strength. Men today want to a bigger thing from heaven, a bigger reveal. And you know, today men still do not believe the earthly things that God has revealed to us. And that's ultimately why they don't believe when God tells them of heavenly things. So we see the questions that Jesus asks of Nicodemus. Don't you know? Don't you believe? Nicodemus was not believing the evidences that Jesus was giving. Nicodemus and the Pharisees, they had all the evidence that they needed in the word of God. If they'd simply searched the scriptures, they would have found that they testified of him. They would have found that they aligned with who Jesus was. They would have found, like the disciples did, that Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Messiah that they were so searching for. But we'll see last of all this morning the revelation of Jesus. We'll try to hurry along here. There in verse number 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus is a merciful God. And in his mercy, he doesn't cut off the conversation with Nicodemus right here and say, Nicodemus, you've got all you need. Search the Scriptures. He goes on. He draws Nicodemus' attention once again to the Scripture. He brings Nicodemus back and he points out once again that he is who he says he is. He draws Nicodemus to a passage, a passage that he would have known well. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And instantly, Nicodemus' mind would have gone back to Numbers chapter 21. In a look at the past, Numbers chapter number 21. And we find ourselves in the middle of the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness. then it says here in Numbers chapter number 21, verse number 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So it's interesting, you know, they just had a victory. God had just given them victory over the Canaanites that had come to kill them. God had delivered them from them. They begin to journey once again, and their soul is much discouraged by the way. So they're walking along, and I guess things were starting to get a little bit hard, and they started to grumble. They started to be unthankful. They weren't excited with the way in which God was taking them, and their soul is much discouraged. Verse number 5, "...and the people spake against God." And against Moses, wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now you've got to wonder a little bit, right? They're being a little dramatic. I mean, you've probably seen little kids do this sometime. There is nothing to eat. I remember doing that as a kid, you know. Mom, there's no food in the fridge. And she'd come and she'd open the fridge. And you're like, Sam, there's lots of food in the fridge. What are you talking about? Whoa, whoa, there's no food that I want to eat in the fridge, right? You'll notice what they say. They're speaking against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread. None. No bread. And no water. Now, I know for a fact you can't live very long in the desert without water. So apparently there was some water because they were all still alive. And not only that, they're saying there's no bread, but then at the end they kind of say, Well, our soul loatheth this light bread. So there's no, you know, substantial bread, there's not the bread that we want, and God we hate this bread that you're giving us. So they're complaining. They're not happy with the provision of God. Now, mind you, right, God has them on their way to a promised land that floweth with milk and honey. Anyway, they weren't happy. Their soul was much discouraged. Verse number six, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, that sounds really scary to me, because I don't like snakes. I don't like the kind of snakes that you die from when they bite you. And if they're on fire, I really don't like that either. That's just ten times worse. So fiery serpents are among the people. They're biting the people of Israel, and they're dying. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, "We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that He take away the serpents from us." And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, "Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a, upon a pole." And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent was bitten, any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So it's a strange story, right? But they're complaining. God begins to judge them. And then they begin to cry out against the judgment. And they recognize, okay, we were wrong. God, we sinned. And they come to Moses, they say, Moses, we've sinned against the Lord. We need you to pray for us that God would remove the snakes. And so God doesn't remove the snakes, but he gives Moses a strange solution. He says, you know, take take some brass, fashion a a thing that looks like a, a fiery serpent, one of these that's crawling around, put it on a pole, and put it in the middle of the camp. And anyone who wants to be healed, they've been bit, and anyone who wants to be healed, they can come and they can look at that serpent and they'll be healed. Now, you have to recognize something. It sounds a little weird. It sounds a little crazy. And, you know, for someone to be healed, it's going to take some humility. Because they're going to have to say, okay, well, you know, I've got no other options. There's nothing else I can do. I can see I got bit. He's hanging off of my leg, right? I guess I'll look at the pole. I'll go look at the serpent. I've got no other option. But I would imagine that in the camp of the Israelites, there were probably some people who didn't want to believe. There were probably some people who were too proud and said, you know what, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. I'll try Aunt Frida's herbal solution, and we'll suck that snake venom out, and I'll live. And ten minutes later, they were dead. I'm sure there was people who didn't want to look and live because it required them humbling themselves. And so Jesus, in John chapter 3 here, he hearkens back to this event. He tells Nicodemus in verse number 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Nicodemus would have remembered this event. He would have remembered that the people of Israel, in order to survive, they had to look and live. They had to humble themselves so that they could go on living. And Jesus is drawing Nicodemus' attention to this on purpose, and he is comparing himself, the Son of Man, to the serpent. He's saying, just like that serpent was lifted up so that all the people of Israel could look and live, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is directing Nicodemus's attention to the past, but then it is a look to the future in prophecy. As Jesus reveals to Nicodemus what is coming. As Jesus prophesies to Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, there is coming a day not very far away where I'm going to be put on a cross. I'm going to be lifted up like that serpent in the wilderness so that all may look and live. In verse number 15 there, that, or for the purpose, the reason why the Son of Man must be lifted up is so that every, whosoever, everyone, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The reason why the Son of Man must be lifted up is so that everyone could live. Now remember what Nicodemus is looking for in a Messiah. He's looking for someone to come and to fix all of the earthly problems. He's looking for someone to come and to kick the dirty Romans out and to set up his kingdom. And he thinks that he's a good candidate. And Jesus has come and he's pulled the rug out from under Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you can't get in unless you're born again. Nicodemus is confused by all of this, but Jesus comes and he bursts his bubble once again and says, the Son of Man, this Messiah that you're looking for is going to be lifted up in the wilderness just like that snake was so many years ago. For the purpose that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus was revealing to Nicodemus what was going to happen to him. He was revealing to Nicodemus what was going to happen to the Messiah. The earthly kingdom would not yet be set up. There was a kingdom of God that was coming. It's a kingdom that you and I can enter into today. It's a kingdom that still goes on. His reign and rule in the hearts and lives of those who follow after him. And there, there is coming a day. Make no mistake, there is coming a day when King Jesus will come back to this earth. And he will set up a kingdom that will never end. But really, his kingdom never has ended. His kingdom has gone on in the hearts and lives of those that have put their faith and trust in him. It has gone on in the hearts and lives of those who have humbled themselves because they had no other hope. They've looked to Jesus And they've lived. They've received the eternal life that he offers to them. You see, for Nicodemus, it would take humility and faith to accept what Jesus was saying. Nicodemus was blinded by his religious beliefs. And so it is today that many are blinded by their religious beliefs. Still today, men are waiting for God to prove to them that he is real waiting for God to reveal some big thing from heaven, waiting for God to prove that His Word is real, that salvation is real, when He's already given us everything that we need. We have the testimony. We have the witness that Jesus still gives to us today that we would do wise to receive. The things that He has witnessed of, the things that the prophets have witnessed of, are things that they do know, things that they have seen. They tell us it all comes together, it all brings our attention and points us to Jesus Christ. Friend, today you must come to God's word. Set aside everything that you think recommends you to God. Everything that you think makes you a great candidate to enter into heaven. Everything that you think makes you a great candidate to be a child of God on your own strength and in your own way you must come to him and recognize that Jesus is the only way of salvation it takes faith it takes humility to look and to live but you know if you really stop and think about it it takes faith to believe in yourself too it takes faith to think that you have what it takes to make it to heaven Jesus is the only way Look to Jesus today and live. I asked you that question at the beginning of the message this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe? The whole purpose of this encounter in Nicodemus' life, Jesus' goal in all of it was to draw his attention to him, to reveal to Nicodemus that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that they'd been waiting for, Nicodemus was caught up in his own thoughts, his own views of what should be. But Jesus kept bringing him back to Scripture again and again, revealing to him that he was who he said he was. And so today, we need to get our eyes in the book, our attention on him. This morning, if you're saved, if you know him, it's the same answer for us. Look to Jesus and live. You know we can get our eyes off of him we can get our eyes off onto the things of this world and become discouraged our soul can be much discouraged by the way but we need to get our attention and our focus on him in his word and following after him